You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda, giving you the legal breakdown. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm your host, Just Jonda, and tonight I am doing one of my favorite types of episodes, which is my Just Jonda's Legal Breakdowns. Now, we do these from time to time when there are some cases that we just can't wait to dig into. And quite frankly, there's a lot of them going on right now. I am paying attention to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard one. I'm not uh, inclined to go so deep on that one doing a day-to-day because if you've been a long-time listener of the show, you know that we covered that case when it was in Europe. You heard about crap on a bed once, you've heard about it a thousand times. So what we'll probably do, uh, at least what I'm thinking of doing and I talk to my tech person on this end, is come in on that one at the end. I uh, hope you can hear me. I didn't realize that my mouthpiece was up by the side of my head. So what we'll probably do is come in on that one in the end with the verdict and discuss our thoughts about how it turned out and, um, it's especially in light of the fact that the standards in the U.S. are different from in Europe. But enough of that, because again, lots of cases and we're going to discuss a few of them. We are starting tonight on our two-part special on the NeNe Leaks versus Bravo, um, versus Bravo, NBC Universal, Andy Cohen, Sherry Levine, Steven Weinstock, Lauren Ecclestein, uh, Ecklin, and more. In fact, she even has Dane uh, Doe's, as in Jane or John Doe's, one through 25, in case there's some other people and she just doesn't know who the hell they are right now. Um, a true Entertainment's being sued in this as well in truly original television, all of them. Um, There is a lot to say about this case. It's going to take a bit to get through some of the junk to get to the meat, especially given that out of this 77-page complaint, I would say maybe about 35 to 40 of it probably could have been tossed out of the window and the same point could have been made. Um, You'll hear me say from time to time whether I think any of those points are good or bad, but nevertheless, the same points could have been made with a lot less. In fact, I find that a lot of this is so hyperbolic and so overblown, especially with some of the claims, some of them bringing in individuals other than Nini herself, who don't even appear to be supporting her in this. And so when you read it, not only does it get to a point where, I hate to say this, but not only do you get to a point where it's not 
the best written complaint from a drafting standpoint, but also it goes so far into the weeds, it land, lends itself more to that you're grasping at straws kind of thing to make some very basic points. And um, also, as with anything um, in life in general, but certainly it could bite you in the butt when you're uh, in legal proceedings, you can say so much, especially when there's a chance that you may be reaching on some things that it ends up splashing back on you. And we have several of those instances that we are going to talk about where I am going to point that out. Um, but just an example, you have Ms. Leakes reaching back eight, nine, 10 years, going back almost to the show's inception, uh, certainly going all the way back into season one, uh, because for those of you who may not know, this show originally premiered in 2008 to bring up some alleged claims that since then she has continue to have on-again, off-again relationships uh, related to that person. But then when Bravo allegedly brought up something that allegedly occurred in 2017, then all of a sudden they're bringing up dated things that don't matter. So you get, you get into a lot of instances like that throughout this lawsuit because, again, um, there are some things that may or may not have been valid claims at the time, had they been timely raised in the proper circumstances. But again, you're dealing with reality television and, and people's own behavior. So let me start by making a blanket statement that I think will is going to color a lot of my uh, thoughts and commentary on this from the beginning so that way I don't have to keep saying it. Now what we're going to do over the next uh, two episodes, this one and the next one, and you know any other we have to do as it progress, is I'm going to take you through the complaint starting with what her actual claims are in terms of what relief is she seeking based on the law that she is asserting was violated or her rights that were violated. So we're going to start there in terms of me actually telling you what her claims are. And then we're going to go into her rationale for making each claim. I find that that is the most helpful for I'm going to call you all lay people. <laughs> that means people who don't do what I do. I find that to be the most helpful because then as you're listening to the things that she is alleging, you can kind of put each thing into their proper column to say, okay, so she's telling us this because that lays the foundation for that. And of course, I'm going to guide you through that. Okay, so that's one. The second thing I'm going to do again right now is at the outset, uh, give you a bit of my thoughts as it relates to how this fits into the framework 
or the behavior rather, how the behavior complained of, particularly as it relates to her coworkers, and that'll become clear in a moment, fits into the framework of reality TV from my point of view. And I do believe that it is probably going to be a large part of the defense's point of view when they answer that. And of course, as soon as they submit their answer to the complaint, I will get right on here and we'll go through their response to the complaint. At least right now, I have not, uh, I've been checking Pacer, but I have not seen one filed yet. You know, they have time to file it. This was just uh, filed on 420. So there is, they certainly have time because today is only 427. So here it is. A lot of what Ms. Leakes is complaining about, especially as it relates to her co-worker, Kim Zolziak, and even when she it brings up some of the other behaviors of the women on the other shows in her effort to show the overall culture that Bravo did or didn't allow to permeate both in front of the camera and behind the camera. Some of that, to me, and again, I do believe this is going to be a tremendous part of the defense, is part and parcel of what you get with what is allegedly supposed to be reality TV. Now, let me go a little bit further than that. If, when we're talking about, take back the if, when we're talking about the issues as they relate to things behind the scenes, negotiations, conversations that she may have had with the bosses um, like Andy Cohen and some of the other names that are going to come up as we go through the complaint. Yes, those are definitely off-camera conversations, and if they related to concerns that she had, then obviously it's going to come down to whether or not there is any documentation of those concerns, complaints, or conversations, especially if the individuals in question claim that either these issues were not brought to them or that they were brought to them, but not through the proper channels. They were brought to them, let's say, in general conversation, because as we know, for many years, Nini prided herself on not only being the queen of Bravo, but also within that queendom, having certain types of relationships with the powers that be, that the other women did not have. In fact, that was one of the things that she felt gave her a one up on them. And it's and, and I don't think I'm just making that up. I mean, we all saw it, especially given her relationship with Andy Cohen. And I would go so far as to say even taking advantage of that uh, personal relationship with Andy Cohen in terms of the way that she interacted with him when things didn't go her way. Um, especially on the reunion or snide remarks, she would say, or just her overall behavior, again, especially on the reunions related to like not answering questions and getting snappish with him and different things that most of the other women 
probably would be reluctant to do because they didn't have a personal relationship with him or certainly not one of the level where they felt that they could take certain liberties, not only with Andy, but in terms of their behavior with the show, with people behind the scenes, with camera people, with production and staff, because let's face it, we've all heard the rumors. So, but that being said, those are different things because those are off camera things. However, things that went on among the women during the hundreds of hours of filming that they do, things that are were within, shall we say, the fourth, the four walls without lifting the fourth one. Those things, as far as I am concerned, whether we like them or not, are part and parcel of what you get when you are filming what is so-called reality. And that is whether we're talking about women making allegations like the type that uh, Phaedra and Portia made about Candy um, with the uh, Candy allegedly wanting to assault Portia, whether it's the women claiming that this one's husband is having an affair, that one's husband is having an affair, um, questions about um, individual sexuality, calling each other bitches and all other things, their actual physical altercations, and yes, racism. And if that means that Kim Zolciak said things about not wanting to film with these black women or supposedly using the N-word or just acting a certain high-handed kind of way with the women versus the others and not wanting to go places with them and what have you, those things, whether you like them or not, and we all can agree or disagree about the degrees to which one is better or worse than the other, all of those things fall, in my opinion, within the realm of the alleged reality show that you are filming, the alleged reality of behavior of these women. Because what happens when you say, well, no, it isn't, you start lifting that fourth wall, which is a bit different in reality television, right? Because when you lift it in regular scripted TV and film, then all you're doing is essentially like, let's say you're showing um, a sitcom. Well, lifting the fourth wall is essentially just showing the audience sitting there. So now in it, it removes that suspension of disbelief that you are actually viewing the family from blackish you are actually viewing some individuals in their homes and again enjoying it as a show but make believe and it is unfortunately reminding you that you're basically watching people doing a play because you're watching the people sitting there watching them and the canned laughter and all of that right whereas with reality tv it is a very, it's an e of a much more dangerous proposition to do that because with scripted television, there is no question that is not real. You know what you're getting. There's a script, there's a screenplay. I mean, it's a play on TV. 
right? But with reality television, even though we know that it's somewhat scripted, it is still supposed to be real for the most part. Okay, unless you're dealing with shows that have heavy, heavy, heavy manipulation because of like dating and all of that. Once you lift that wall and you start saying, well, actually the producer told her to do that or that person told her to do that or this one, whatever, you literally strip down everything. So what ends up happening is this person, Miss Leakes, who considers herself to be the person who built Housewives, which of course Bravo certainly rests firmly on, would also be the person who helps to tear it down. Now, again, if if that house was bad to you, then knock yourself out, tear it down brick by brick. But that's essentially what we're talking about, which is tearing it down brick by brick and everybody else that's involved in it. Because you can't have it both ways. You cannot, on the one hand, and, and say, this is a reality show. So the things that people do and say are who they are. So if you have somebody on the show who is a racist and they say racist things, then that is who they are. Now, does the show have to continue to keep them on the show? No. And we've seen various issues come up, especially in the past couple of years uh, where Bravo has had to address issues both very current as well as some things that were kind of brushed under the rug, brushed under the rug several years ago. And then it came back to haunt them, especially in the wake of summer of 2020, especially with some of the Vanderpump Rules cast. But if while the show is being filmed, these things are going on, then or things are being said, or a person is acting a certain way, then that is the reality. And you can either cut it out of the show or you can show it on the show and let the audience react to the behavior or to that person in whatever manner they choose. It just depends on how comfortable the producers are about that level of salaciousness. For my purposes, I don't see where accusing someone's husband of being gay or sleeping around on them or a grown 40-year-old woman uh, sleeping with the hired help or yelling, you know, out, you know, one of y'all are going to do certain things to me tonight, you know, talking about Atlanta or showing people throwing tables or purses or fighting and, you know, things we've seen go on in New Jersey, uh, on the New Jersey show, hair pulling, um, or even some of the microaggressions that were literally the centerpiece of the Real Housewives of New York last season. The fact that some of these things may have occurred, that is arguably who those people are. So if you're filming the reality of it, then that's it. So to me, part of that is the defense. We're not foster my the defense would be we're not fostering or um in any way 
ratifying this behavior or saying that it's okay any more than we are saying that it's okay that you all call each other bitches, kick people, fight people, chase them down the road, um, call each other out in any manner of nastiness that many of them, Ms. Leakes being one of the ones who helped to pioneer it on the housewives with a lot of this behavior. And then of course, let's not even get into uh, Miss Judice on Jersey. A lot of this trash behavior, Judice, Leakes, Zolziak, and a few others, but their names are always at the top of the list. Uh, Portia Williams, at least slick at the mouth, not as, not as it relates to the physical stuff, but certainly slick at the mouth. Um, Thedra Parks, Kenya Moore, all of these things synonymous with the housewives and what they do and what makes any of them any worse than the other. Now, as we saw, like with what happened recently with Salt Lake City and Jenny Nguyen, if you find out that there are things going on offline in that person's personal life that's evidencing a very um, distasteful uh, viewpoint and things that they're putting out there, even if on the show they are very thinly <laughs> trying to hide that or not act accordingly, then of course it's up to you as to whether or not you're going to take a chance and continue to work with that person. And Bravo felt it prudent to not continue to work with that person. And I've, I've had no issue with that. I think that was the right thing to do. However, if allegedly, because I'm still kind of giving them a side eye about how could you not know about the Jenny Wynn stuff, but if like with most people, they don't put their uh, walk around uh, with their white hood on and take pictures of themselves in it and post them on for social media so that you know how they stand. And you only find out through the course of dealing with them or, you know, when they just happen to toss in a, a N word here or there and you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? then of course you deal with that accordingly in terms of, again, whether or not you are going to continue a relationship with them. But in that moment when you're filming, that's part and parcel of the show. What Nene is, in my opinion, is attempting to uh, do in this suit is to make some of well, really a large part of what goes on on screen to use that as justification for saying that she was discriminated against because of how things fell apart between her and the network off screen. And that, at least from the standpoint of reality television, is what I find to be one of the most fascinating aspects of this case at the same time as someone who enjoys reality television. Uh, one of the things that's the most troubling about this case, both from what the reality television is supposed to be, as well as whether or not 
I think her claims as they are currently written are sustainable. And there's more that goes into it, but I just wanted to give, I know I said a lot, but I just wanted to give that overview as it relates to um, what I think reality TV is and isn't. And I think that it's going to make even more sense when I get more into this case. Okay, so first things first, and then we're gonna uh, then we're gonna take a little break. Let's go into her claims for uh, the the claims for relief. What she is asking, and your claims for relief are what it is that you are asking the court to do based on a specific law that you feel applies. So her first claim of relief is based on, and this is, this is a big one, um, is based on 14 US, uh, USC section 1981. And this, this is a big one because this is where pretty much any discrimination claim, especially as it relates to race, this is the catch-all for pretty much all of them if you've got a racial discrimination claim. Um, so this is what that particular law says. All persons within the jurisdiction of the United States shall have the same right in every state and territory to make and enforce contracts to be uh, to sue, be parties, give evidence, and to the full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings for the security of persons and property as enjoyed by white citizens. So clearly that was written specifically for us, for African Americans. So the issue here that where she feels that she falls because you're like what are you talking about uh give evidence parties i mean she's filing a lawsuit why would that be an issue this relates to the fact that she feels that bravo interfered with her ability to make and more importantly enforce her contract but really both so she says that each of the individual defendants um were causally linked, whether through their own actions or their um, unwillingness to act based on other people, their failures to act based on things that other people did, um, or that there was retaliatory conduct. And so she's saying that during all the relevant times of incidents claimed in her suit, and she goes all the way back making claims, particularly as they relate to Kim Zolciak going back as far as like season three. Um, and remember, this is a show that started in 2008. So she said that the defendants, and there's all the people I already told you, by the way, not suing Kim Zolciak, keep that in mind because her name is going to come up a lot. It's not me that keeps bringing it up. <laughs> it's this suit. She's saying that the defendants had actual and or constructive knowledge of the retaliatory conduct described and alleged herein above, and they condoned, ratified, participated in, or allowed the retaliatory conduct, and the retaliatory conduct is really not continuing to work with her or make contracts with her, because as we know, she worked with Bravo until she didn't. And until that last time, until after season 12, 
with the infamous shutting of the laptop, which I guess she didn't realize that was literally closing the door on her relationship with them uh, when she closed her laptop at that reunion, that it stopped contract negotiations. But before that, whenever she came and went, she did it of her own accord. That's why she doesn't really address it here. You know, when she decided to go Hollywood and Hollywood sent her back. And so basically she said that she suffered economic losses, emotional, mental distress, the same thing everybody else says. The second claim, again, still falling under 1981, is that she was discriminated against on the basis of race, that all of this happened because she was black, that this adverse employment action in terms of them not being willing to move forward with her, no longer willing to negotiate with her, that all of that, that occurred because she was black. Her third claim in this again, under 1981, because there's several sections you can sue under, is as for those of you who know about this stuff, you guessed it, a hostile work environment. And that essentially she was subjected to severe or pervasive workplace harassment and the creation of a hostile work environment based on her race, color, natural, national origin, um, resulted in a denial of equal employment opportunity. So we get that. She also goes on to say that this harassment was by supervisory employees, so other individuals who worked for um, Bravo, NBC, Universal, True Entertainment, essentially the individuals that she would have been negotiating with or the production team, etc., and non-supervisory co-workers, because again, it all comes back down to Kim. Her fourth claim, now this one is it's slightly different, and this one is under 42 U.S.C. section 1988. Her, the fourth claim for relief, she's asking for a declaratory judgment. Now this we'll get a little bit more into tomorrow because this one is a little um, is a little more involved. That one specifically relates to the fact that her contract the one, you know, the one she continued signing after them giving her more and more money, making her the highest made housewife, uh, the highest paid housewife, that there is an arbitration clause there that she and her attorney are now saying is unconscionable, it shouldn't be enforceable, it's invalid, etc. It also requires that the arbitration um be done uh, under the laws of New York and individuals from there. So for a myriad of reasons, all of which we'll get into tomorrow because we'll go in, uh, well, on episode two, I keep saying tomorrow, but all of which we'll get into episode two because that will send us down a rabbit hole where we won't get to the fun stuff today. Um, that ultimately the court should uh, rule that either that arbitration clause is invalid in its entirety or at least in the relevant parts that she uh, and her team are specifically pointing to. So that is more, in fact, that's actually something that out of all the claims, the judge really is going to have to look at right away 
if this case is, is allowed to continue, because of course the first thing that Bravo is gonna file, so they, they'll be in court sooner rather than later because Bravo, in addition to their answer, is undoubtedly going to file a motion for summary judgment, state uh, asking the court to toss it out because she hasn't stated upon, she hasn't uh, stated an actual claim upon which relief can be found. So, um, that is going to be their first step, obviously, is just to toss it out saying that she hasn't stated a valid claim. And quite frankly, I think that alone is going to be a damn interesting hearing, one that makes me want to take a, a ride down to Atlanta to get a, a seat in the courtroom, especially because since this is in federal court, unlike the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation that has been holding everyone hostage, um, which is in state court, this one will not have cameras. So we'll be at the mercy of individuals who will be reporting out Law 360 to various newspapers or individuals that are lucky enough to get a seat in the federal courthouse in the Northern District of Georgia, kind of like folks did for, um, for us when the uh, Tasha K. Cardi B situation was going on. So at any rate, the motion for summary judgment going to be very interesting hearing because I think that uh, Bravo is, I keep saying Bravo, but basically all of the people being sued, right? Um, NBC Universal, True Entertainment, Andy Cohen, all of them. I think that they are going to have some very, very good arguments to make as it relates to not only her substantive claims, especially because of what she's using to make those claims. Again, in large part, the issues, uh, her putting so much of this on the Kim stuff, as well as her making claims uh, about the fact that their unwillingness to uh, continue a relationship with her uh, being retaliatory when it appears that despite her saying that they didn't want to continue a relationship with her, that there was continuous negotiations that went on pretty much all the way up to the point where she called Andy Cohen a racist and a cokehead. Even up until the point which she admits where season 13 started, because it started in the fall of 2020, she was continuing to negotiate with them. What this was, was negotiations that fell apart. Even the spinoff for the Lanethia Lounge, she puts in here that, and we'll get more into it later, but she puts in there that they wanted to do, that they were only willing to do that for the quote unquote paltry sum of $150,000, which isn't going to necessarily play well because $150,000 may be paltry to somebody who thinks that they should have the world, but it is not paltry to the average person. Um, the other piece is, is untested and unproven as to whether or not your spinoff is going to actually work because you're talking about a spinoff about a show in, uh, in Decatur, 
with a bunch of people that they don't know except for you. There's also the issue, even with them wanting to initially not have her on season 13 at all, and then backing off of that and offering her six episodes at a set amount when they have uh, evidence that they can show that Bravo was going on a slash and burn with a bunch of their people at the top, Tamara Judge and Vicki Gundelson being uh, examples of individuals who they had just gotten rid of, OGs of their respective shows, which uh, within six to eight months of this situation with uh with nini and it was well documented and known that because all the shows are a bit long in the tooth and ratings weren't great on any of them that bravo was doing what a lot of companies do theirs just happens to be related to um just happens to be related to uh television personalities but downsizing, at least downsizing their costs, shall we say, by shifting around or just flat out drawing red lines through the salaries of some of the people at the top of the food chain. And given that Nini and the network were having some problems as it related to some of the behaviors that seemed to cause a strain between the network and her during season 12 and even coming out of season 11 with the whole situation in the closet uh with the cameraman and portia and then going into season 12 with um just by the end having an abysmal relationship with most of the main cast pretty much just filming with the friends of and then we get to the whole reunion walk-off so it's it's kind of messy as uh as it relates to all of that in terms of their back and forth and um and the summary judgment piece. So that's so that's going to be very interesting to watch out for. Now, we're going to back it all the way up <coughs> to the beginning. We're going to begin where we begin. Okay, we know who the parties are and all of that. I'm just going to mention a couple of these because um, some of these people we may have heard their names, but we really didn't we really didn't know them. Now we know Andy who of course is still affiliated with the show and we also have bravo nbc universal true entertainment who deals with the production and all of that so they're right there in georgia uh you're going to hear the names sherry levine stephen weinstock uh lauren uh Escalin. those are several executives and and people in various capacities at bravo and then she has does one through 50 who are just random people who aren't named but may come up and be deemed relevant later so because of where the show was filmed they are uh, pursuing this matter in georgia but it is in federal court because of the nature of the claims that they are making so first she starts out with 
uh, going through where her attorney does what they consider to be a historical culture of discrimination, which let's face it, and I, and I don't say any of this to downplay any of it, is a historical culture of discrimination at Bravo, um, at the Bravo Network, NBC, um, and she said that they maintain a corporate culture that's insensitive to Black talent and fosters racially offensive behavior that goes unpunished. Some of these things that she talks about are issues that are problems or um, in the industry in general. So I'm, I am going to very high level talk about them uh, without in any way uh, disrespecting their importance. But again, these are overall industry issues that, of course, you know, they're adopting as a part of their claim. So that's why I say that some of this stuff gets a bit hyperbolic um, in terms of saying, well, this is going on in general. So of course it's being done to me. Uh, we can make the same claims about literally every network um, on television, except for maybe, maybe, because I would say BET, but they're owned by Viacom. So probably like TV One, and uh, Oprah doesn't even own own anymore, so who knows what the National Geographic Channel is doing? And uh, I don't know, uh, all black, pretty much. I uh, you know, and maybe a couple of other small things, some apps, maybe <laughs> because Hollywood is what it is. So they uh, she quotes some studies uh, done by Newsroom uh, at uh, UCLA, McKenzie.com, NPR, about studies that 87% of TV executives and 92% of film executives are white. Well, duh. Um, across broadcast cable, only 24% of credited writers are minorities. Only about 22% of episodes were directed by minorities. In 2018, 2019, while minorities represent... 40.2% of population overall. We know for Blacks, it's about 13%. But again, well, duh. And, you know, hey, go and complain to Tyler Perry. He he has a whole freaking uh, studio and he still insists on being the only writers on his shows, which he shouldn't be. But again, this isn't about Tyler. Love you, Tyler, but please get some other writers in there. Okay, so she talks about the lack of Black executives in film and TV and its troubling trickle-down effect to casting and off-screen talent. We know that. These are issues that have been going on for years. And again, don't downplay them, just saying these are not things that we don't already know. She said that NBC and his parent company, Comcast, perpetuate the lack of diversity in the industry um, I don't think it's just NBC and Comcast. I think you could say the same thing about ABC, CBS, and pretty much all the rest. While they may, while some of these networks, in particular, particularly cable networks, may do a better job with at the very least getting women in there, we still have the minority problem. Uh, they said Comcast seven executive officers are all white males. Not surprising. According to his 2020 values report, 19% of Comcast Universal's total workforce as of year in 2019 was African-American, which is actually roughly, uh, actually slightly higher than our overall population in the world. Although, let's face it, we have a higher representation of that in the entertainment industry, which is what this is specifically talking about. 
And of course, they take a nose jive, take a nose dive when looking at leadership executives. Um, sadly, pretty much again in line with uh, the rest of the world. So the things that her that they are saying about um, NBC, uh, I think, are pretty indicative of the industry as a whole. Um, but it doesn't help that they said that. Uh, NBC is um, their lack of diversity is notable when compared to other historically non-diverse studios. For example, in 2021, the Directors Guild of America ranked NBC Universal third to last among eight largest studios on TV director diversity report for directors of color and women directors. I'd be interested in knowing who was second to last and who was last, but again, I just don't know if any of this is. Uh, much different uh, from what we expect to see. I find it very interesting that they referred to Andy when they start talking about Andy Cohen when he became vice president of uh, Bravo. He was he became vice president of programming of Bravo after about two years after they joined NBC. So Andy Cohen's pretty much been there from the beginning. They call him Bravo's mascot in chief. Snarky, I think it's kind of rude. Yes, Bravo and Andy Cohen are pretty much synonymous. He is basically the face of the show. Um, and then, of course, uh, or the face of the network, really. I mean, you can't think of Bravo and not think of Andy Cohen, um, whether it's because of the housewives or whether it's because of Watch What Happens. And they even said that he left his executive in-house position, which some of us knew in 2013, but he continued in his other roles, specifically being the host for all the reunion shows, which we know, watch what happens. He remains an integral part of their TV uh, programming, including um, The Real Housewives, and he's closely related because of that. And he is... Um, an executive producer, host, and oftentimes friend to the housewives. So I thought that he was no longer the executive producer, but apparently he is. Either way, even if he isn't, yes, this is accurate. He is very much wrapped up in them. So the housewives been around from pretty much the beginning, right? Uh, NBC acquired Bravo in 2002. Housewives franchise began in 06 with, uh, so it's cute little history, began in 06 with um, Real Housewives of the OC, then New York in 07, and then Atlanta in 08, um, and New Jersey was also in uh no, Atlanta was in the fall of 08, and then New Jersey came soon after in the spring of 09. Um, it, D.C. was short-lived. That didn't come until 2010. So, and Beverly Hills was in 2010. It's funny because I apparently it didn't. So anyway, bottom line, relevant uh, we know that uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta came in uh, 08. And yes, it did change the game. But part of the reason why it changed the game, and we know that 
uh, a lot of that did have to do with that personality and that casting that Nini played a large role in. But let's not pretend that in changing the game, it was all positive because this went uh, from a show about rich women doing rich women things, which is what it was supposed to be. You know, this was going to be our 2000s version of the lifestyles of the rich and famous, but focusing on rich women. But when it went to Atlanta, other than Dion Snow, were they really rich? Well, we found out that no, they weren't. It, you know, you had women sort of perpetrating a rich lifestyle. So to make up for that, they did what Nini does well. And there was a cast of people around her, largely Sheree and Kim, who was billed as her best friend, who took it to a different place that was appealable from an entertainment standpoint, even if not money, which was the shade and the drama and, you know, talking essentially like, and, and bringing them on, bringing on um, really uh, flamboyant gay men from uh, Atlanta to be their sidekicks so that they could get away with adopting their mannerisms and speech. Hello, Nene, Tamar Braxton, Mariah Huff, and others. Uh, I see you, and we, we know what you did. This, because this isn't the way, uh, you know, normal women, uh, the way that normal women speak. It is the way you speak when you are adopting the speech and mannerisms of, uh, of Black gay men who have a whole, like, cool vibe and whatever, you know, what's tea, hey, hunty, and all of that other stuff, and yes, and all that, yeah, all stolen, all adopted, all appropriated, but it worked. Because what the show did, of course, it grabbed a Black audience who really wasn't fully watching uh, the other two. You already had white women, but then it brought in more. These were also women of a certain age. So you got those of us who may have started out with the real world, but then aged out of it. So we had the next level moving forward. Um, you know, because now we're older and we're mature and these women are our age, although, you know, and they're showing off. And then, uh, you know, so you, you had all of those elements. And then, of course, because of the outrageous behavior and the things that were being said and the shade and then the, all of that stuff, you had a huge gay following, gay male following in particular as well. So it was the perfect storm for all of these things with this central, uh, larger than life character who had, you know, adopted all these mannerisms and all of that in the form of Nene Leakes. And of course, playing off her sidekick, uh, Kim Zolciak, and then of course you had uh, Sheree Whitfield as well, who definitely could give as good as she got when it came to sparring with Nene, um, Nene and Kim. And I don't, uh, and I don't 
discount the contribution of Lisa Wu, who, if nothing else, held her own again in some of the sparring, especially when things got hot between her and Kim. So you had that, and it, there's no question, it definitely contributed to the housewives becoming the crown of Bravo with uh, the Real Housewives of Atlanta being the jewel in that crown, which of course gave them even more incentive to continue to add the other cities, all of which makes sense. And then of course, the best thing that goes along with doing reality shows as opposed to scripted television, they're cheap. Not building sets and all of this stuff and you're not paying actual real high paid celebrities. You might be paying some C or D list celebrities uh, who have fallen enough of fallen off enough that they are willing to do reality TV to kind of revive things. Um, Candy Burris is a different situation because she at the time was not acting or anything. She's in the music industry and that's a little bit that that's a whole different vibe. And also Atlanta is a bit different as well in terms of how celebrity is defined uh, as it, especially in comparison to um, it to say uh, a Hollywood and in Atlanta, uh, you know, being black famous as opposed to universally famous carries more weight than it would in other places like uh, California or New York, because it's it's Atlanta and just that sort of being a, a, a mecca for the uh, growing, um, I guess for want of a better way of putting it, black Hollywood light in terms of, you know, some TV and film. So certain things work there that don't necessarily work in other places. So that happened. She helped with the casting. We know all of that. She's made sure that we know. She goes into, so we get the history. She goes into now saying that it was Bravo, NBC Bravo and True, that they racially segregated the Real Housewives franchises for years. I will say this, arguably... We can argue all day long about whether or not the housewives are segregated, but I will, I, I will propose this. Even in a city as diverse in New York, because this is uh, an issue that used to come up with friends a lot, and of course it comes up with the New York housewives. Uh, that show is so, it, New York is so diverse, how are you gonna have a show that never has a black woman, never has a Hispanic woman or whatever? It, to me, it depends, and I know this is going to sound crazy coming from a Black woman, but it shouldn't because I'm very practical. It comes, it depends on what you're attempting to do. If the goal is to try to show somewhat realistic um, interactions between individuals who actually know each other, socialize with one another, have actual relationships of the type that their highs and lows, confiding in one another, friendship, happies, friendship, ending, all of those things. 
if you are going, if the goal is to keep that authentic, then the reality of things are that a lot of people are segregated. If you go to New York and you find a group of friends uh, who of a certain age, a certain income bracket, etc., especially if they are, you know, if if they are rich and what have you, you may find two very different groups of people, one white and one black, still both doing very well, great husbands, great this, great that, but chances are, but for maybe one white girl or two in a group of black girls or you know maybe um some girls of uh some some i'm saying girls some women of latin descent in with a group of uh, a overall group of women of color or one black woman that just happens to have a relationship with a group of white women those groups are going to be segregated look at your own friend groups even when you people complained about friends, you have a brother and sister, the people they were friends with in high school, and then a couple of other friends that they met along the way in college. The, it doesn't matter that they are in the heart of New York City. That is who their friends are going to be. They're, they're white friends that they grew up with or gathered with in college. And so they're going to be very white, no different than mine would be black. It is what it is. So I don't think that it's necessarily a segregation issue so much as it's just real. You go to New Jersey, you go to Franklin Lakes, you go and you find a group of women, a group of Italian women who are tight and they're friends and what have you. And then they either have their family or extended group of friends. Guess what? They're all going to look alike. And, you know, it, it, in real life, because at least they did start out as friends, Teresa and the Manzos, two Italian families that were friends. And then their extended family and other friends, they're all going to look alike. And the same thing when you go to Atlanta. So let's not pretend that something isn't what it is in everyday life that we see. It is not just a historical segregation that the housewives do. It's a historical segregation based on how we live and interact with each other every single day. But okay, we're going to blame the housewives because she talked about the fact that um, Real Housewives of OC's first 15 seasons, not one single housewife had been black. Okay, 16th season, they bring in a black woman who's also married to a white man. See how that worked out? Real Housewife of New York, she mentions it took 13 seasons to bring in a black housewife who, like many of them, wasn't married, only sort of kind of friends with one of them. And then you spent the whole season with her having to deal with microaggressions whilst her, while simultaneously trying to school them on the world of Blackness made no sense whatsoever and was not authentic. Okay, um, Real Housewives of Atlanta, largely racially segregated, but in the opposite direction because they had Kim Zolciak, who she brought on the show. 
She also talks about other spinoffs. She mentions Vanderpump Rules and how they, she goes into the situation with Faith and the Black family, uh, you know, the, the situation that happened with her. So you got uh, two uh, Black girls who, I mean, two white girls who subsequently, two years after the fact, got fired from the show for something that they attempted to do where on the show. The show's who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, Southern Charm issues with things that uh, went on there. She talks about how they brought on a Persian woman who then had issues with individuals on the show. So she just mentions that they, so she uses all of this background to talk about the fact that a racially insensitive uh, workplace culture was tolerated and encouraged. Not sure if uh, they would agree that it was encouraged. You know, they're going to argue about whether or not it was tolerated. I think that unfortunately, they're just going to have to, or fortunately, they're going to have to have a counsel who just keeps it 100 the way that I do. This is the world that you live in. You don't have to like it, but it is what it is. And don't pretend that you don't know. Um, and she talks about various incidents on other shows um, in order to demonstrate that Luann and the and the um, Luann and the uh, Diana Ross wig thing and blackface with the dark makeup certainly problematic. Um, later referring to a Native American as Indian and doing the woo woo sound. Um, although another, um, another cast member did point out that it was problematic and she pointed it out on the show. They talked about, she talked about the real housewives, uh, housewives of Dallas, the issues with Leanne Locken that kind of went back and forth for a while. And then we know ultimately she got, they got rid of her. Um, Brandy Redman, who also was on the show and they had to disavow some of her behavior um and just further instances there the ebony k williams stuff with um real housewives of new york some of which is still going on because as we know that show didn't even have a reunion because things got so bad uh, among the women and there's I think we talked about here um, actually I talked about on this show about there being allegations related to things that Ramona who I mean who doesn't know that she's problematic and that there's been reports about her saying this is why we shouldn't have black people on the show so some of these things that we've talked about before and that have come out in the news, all pointing to the fact that Bravo, like a lot of networks, have some serious problems. I think what makes the Bravo situation a bit different is because they deal so heavily in reality shows that a lot of these things end up coming out when the women, whether it's caught on camera or not, 
are going back and forth saying things to one another or it being caught in uh, casual conversations where the women get a little comfortable, whereas on other networks where most people don't say much that somebody didn't write for them, that they don't get caught with their pants down quite as much. And when uh, actors or, uh, or even network executives get in trouble from those types of networks, it tends to be something that the actors said or did offline or in their personal life or some memos or emails going back and forth among network executives, it's a little tougher when you're dealing with people on reality shows because their stuff is just a constant barrage of the stream of consciousness of people who probably shouldn't have mics in front of them most of the time. Because let's face it, most of us shouldn't most of the time. And, and of course, what they count on is eventually you get comfortable. And like they used to say on the real world, when people, what did they say? When people stop being, they what did they say? People stop being friendly or stop being something and start being real. This is the real world. And that's what they count on, right? With any reality show that after you are filming for hours and hours and hours and the, and the cameras are up in your house and the camera people, if they're smart, sort of will fade into the background and what have you, that you'll get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, that's when you're keeping it real gets a bit too damn real and people find out about you. Either you get comfortable or the other one, which we know they love, which is why they put put uh, these women in powder keg situations like these trips, is uh, they get angry. And of course, when people get angry, the sparks fly. And when the sparks fly, so does a whole lot of stuff that nobody should be catching. So she moves on they talk about um and she talks about how even though the new york trip uh new york didn't go on and as we know they're doing a full revamp of new york we've talked about on this show as well but that um ramona singer did get the real housewives ultimate girls trip and so did luann de lesseps who is constantly in messes doing all kinds of stuff and quite frankly we know that phaedra got the uh, Ultimate Girls Trip, uh, the second season, which should be coming out any time now, despite the fact that you were allegedly fired because of the really outrageous scheme between you and Portia to say the things that, uh, that she did, um, between her and Portia to say the things that she did about Candy. And let's face it, we know that the only reason why uh, at this point Phaedra is not back on The Real Housewives of Atlanta is because Candy refuses to film with her. Because um, if you're going to bring her back for another show with a bunch of other housewives, then clearly you really don't care that she um, orchestrated a situation with another cast member to put out really harmfully um, slanderous or, def or defamatory, really, um, 
information about another uh, about another cast member that uh, could have, and still in some ways have had tremendous consequences because anything that goes halfway left in Candy's life, I mean, I swear she could turn left uh, on, on a red light and people will be like, well, you know that they said she's a freak and she did it. Did, 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 and that didn't. And, and a lot of that has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that she has bedroom candy. It's because of the allegations. So of course, can't have this discussion, right. Without going into the whole Jenny Nguyen situation from Salt Lake city. So of course she talked about the fact that she was on the show. Then she even jumps off of the housewives and they talk about the America's Got Talent situation with Gabrielle Union and how she filed a complaint with the state of California's Fair Employment Office alleging racial discrimination and a toxic work environment on that show. So, um, it, you know, so this she is really going very deep into that whole piece. So let's now move ahead. So we know she's given a full background to say NBC is racist, period. Well, is that the end? No. Is that a slam dunk? No, <laughs> not in my opinion, because you still have to show how this all related to the specific situation involving you because all of the things that you named were already conditions a lot of things arguably known and present and for many including myself from the outside looking in you were kind of fine with them as long as not only was Atlanta the jewel in the crown of Bravo, but more importantly, you were the person wearing that, uh, you were the person wearing that crown. You were the person, as you said, as your lawyers allege, this is all the house that you built and you expect it to be treated accordingly at all times, no matter what you did or didn't do and what your relationship was with the network, even if it soured. Now, there are those who would say, yeah, and if this is my house, I'll do what I want and act the way I want and you just have to live with it. Well, but is it really? Because if it's if it really was yours, you wouldn't need them to write your check, right? You'd be writing the check because it's your show. But it's and it's not, and that's the problem. All of these relationships, friendships, shows, and all of that were fine until they weren't. You were fine with saying who should and shouldn't be on the show until somebody said you shouldn't be on the show you were fine with 
telling Andy Cohen to keep his name, keep your name out of his mouth until a few months ago when you said you'd be willing to talk to them and try to rebuild the relationship. And when Andy Cohen was asked about it, he said, and I quote, she asked me to keep her name out of my mouth and that is what I'm going to do, period, unquote. This is, of course, after he had been labeled a racist and a cokehead. Now, are there some issues with Andy Cohen? Oh, we could have a whole conversation about that. No doubt about the fact that there are some things that I definitely call into question with how he behaves towards certain housewives versus others. And yes, I do think, as we've seen on the reunions, that it does seem to be a very different way in terms of his comfort level with the shade and some of the slick stuff that comes out of his mouth with the black housewives versus when he has some of those white ones sitting there questions that he'll ask people about their income and how they're living as it relates to feeling like bravo made them kind of like when monique samuels had to let him know that that little check wasn't changing wasn't life-changing for her and Chris versus him never even thinking to ask Lisa Vanderpump that. Or even Kyle Richards, who, let's face it, Mauricio, uh, who is really the big breadwinner around there other than her Bravo checks and her little store. And there's always all kinds of problems going on there. But unless there's something in the uh in the news where one of them is being sued where he doesn't have any choice because it's all over the place to ask them about their income he doesn't play those games with them so are there some issues with andy i'm giving him the side eye and i think a lot of us have given him the side eye for a number of years except when it comes to nini why no hate against nini at all it's because despite the fact that he he tends to be that way with other people and other guests, she doesn't seem didn't seem to have a problem with it as long as he was her bestie and she was there, uh, you know, number one on the list to throw his baby shower. But we'll continue. She was the most frequent guest on Watch What Happens Live. Um, he called, he tweeted October 23rd, 2018, Rojas the house that Nini built, that she's an icon of a genre. She is a gift and a catchphrase machine. True. Absolutely true. Um, most frequent guests on uh, Watch What Happens Live. She's always a blast. She called him Buttercup the day they met. And through their whole run, she's always been had a serious concern and drive to maintain the success and well-being of Roja. And it's from my understanding that Nini was the person who suggested the reunions that, of course, they do for everything. And apparently that Laura Eckelin of True, of True, she's their vice president of programming, said Roja is not Roja without Ms. Leakes. I don't think anybody would ever take any of that away from her. But at a certain point, you know, 
it's it's you know the 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 sun sets and in this particular instance the sun set on her tenure in a show in at a time and in a manner that she didn't particularly care for but would that be negotiations or you know because they did go from saying we don't want you for season 12 i mean season 13 at all and then going back to the six seasons i mean the six episodes plus a potential side plus a potential additional show but he's a racist and a cokehead so now we get into the meat and potatoes and i'm gonna touch base on this uh for about five minutes and then we're going to wrap up because we're in then part two come back because we are really going to dig into this zolziac stuff so this is where she really starts to finally go from and i'm saying we got paragraphs one through 59 before we get into where she really starts lining up what allegedly happened to her and again saying allegedly not to be disrespectful but because i wasn't there just telling you what she said so these are all allegations she said that she was subjected to racially offensive conduct and treatment on roja she uh she said that nbc bravo and true condone accept and tolerate the work-related racially offensive behavior so the main person she lays this on and so this is this is what jumps off the whole next barrage of pages regarding kim so i'm just going to read this part to you and then we'll talk about it so she said in the early years housewife kim zolziak bierman because remember she got married the sole white housewife on roja repeatedly engages in racially offensive behavior rather than subjecting her to appropriate remedial action nbc bravo and true and or true reward her with special perks and privileges denied to the black housewives miss leaks and the other black housewives speak up but nothing is done to stop zolziak bearman's racially offensive behavior mind you none of the other black housewives are joining in this suit or making statements um Candy was asked about it uh, as recently as today and said, then um, they asked her, what does she think about it? She basically said, I don't think anything about it. Not going to talk about it. Um, and Marlo pretty much didn't say much uh, either. So, and, and I don't, I mean, I'm sure that they don't feel comfortable saying anything or getting into it anyway, but that's that's basically what it is. So the first season of Roja premiered on October 7th, 2008. Um, and the lead housewives, as we know, was Nene Leakes, Lisa Wu, Deshaun, Deshaun Snow, Sheree Whitfield, and Kim Zolziak Beerman. All the head, all the housewives were um, black other than her. She said from the outset that Kim was racist and being racially insensitive, which is very interesting because that season one was all about them being besties i mean yes they had their highs and lows i don't remember if that was reunion season one or season two with keep your legs closed to married men's not really sure but yes they had issues but always managed to be besties again and by the way even during the pandemic did some uh 
some lives together and Kim was one of the invited guests to Greg's wake, but I digress. So she said that uh, even during season one, so we're going back to season one, 2008. She said that uh, they were planning a barbecue, Kim, and the, one of them asked Nene about going. I think it was at Deshaun's house. And they, I'm sorry, they asked Kim about going. And she said, I don't want to sit around with Nene and eat chicken. So she said that that was an assumption that the barbecue would, would include eating chicken, which perpetuated a negative stereotype of African-Americans. She said it became that, well, her attorney says it was clear that that was normal conduct for her. It was not an aberration, she said, because when she appeared in March of 2010 on Candy's Candy Coated Nights, she used the N-word when describing the uh, hip-hop group MWA, you know, with, with Ice Cube. Another example, 2012, in the fifth season, she said Kim made racially stereotypical remarks about Candy's new home. If, if you're a watcher, remember when she was driving to Candy's house, when Candy initially brought the two houses and she was in the process of joining them together. And she said that basically the neighborhood was ghetto and also something about and also questioning why candy needed a pool because uh, according to zolziak beerman blacks don't swim um she said that those in other similar comments uh that it she said she was also uh treated differently um that she was treated better than them uh, she talks about the, her being given special perks, like choosing whether or not she wanted to film, being allowed to leave before filming was concluded when she got married, demand, demanding that her husband or family um, be uh, included in the filming, avoiding filming during her pregnancy or parts of her pregnancy when uh, when Phaedra was denied that right to film, she, well, she claims that Phaedra was denied that right. When Phaedra first came on pregnant, she was a new housewife, so I don't know if she was in a position to really make any demands about anything. Um, being a, allowed to demand when that her family be included on trips when others were denied to do so. She said that by mid-2012, uh, that she and other Black housewives raised concerns to network executives regarding um, regarding Kim's different treatment or being treated better than them. And she claimed that she also um, communicated her concerns to, to uh, I think at this point she said to Weinstock, so that's why, Weinstock's a uh, truce president, so that's why he is named as well. And she said that they even had a meeting in 2012. So this means that if this goes to trial, they're gonna, if there's other housewives, whether they want it or not, that are gonna be dragged into this because they said at the meeting report um, that she told them 
that uh, Kim was being afforded special treatment and the racially offensive comments and that they fell on deaf ears. And she said that, um, that in uh, 2012, that when Kim got into a dispute with some of the housewives, she said, these bitches are not my friends. And I don't know any of these effing, she claims in words anymore. So supposedly she said they weren't her friends and called them effing in words. Um, and she basically said that ultimately Bravo, essentially she's saying Kim's been wilding out and, and that Bravo didn't repudiate any of, uh, any of her behavior or take any remedial action and is instead pretty much um, emboldened her by continuing to promote her career. Um, as we know, Kim's final, well, her big departure, we know that she came back a little bit later on, but the big departures uh, came in season five she claimed after more in racially offensive behavior. And then she, she got her wedding special. She got her spinoff. Um, and even despite all of that and the fact that they were having issues with these women, she was able to return later on. Now, the interesting thing is Nene advocated for that return that she had much later. Now it ended up biting her in the butt because Kim came back and said she had a roach in her house, but she advocated her return. But for most of us, we know she advocated her return because Kim, for God only knows what reason, because they were barely on the show at together at the same time, um, had an issue with Kenya. So of course she had no issue with Kim coming back to antagonize Kenya. Kim, Kim, as we know, got a wedding special in 2012, Don't Be Tardy for the Wedding, and that ultimately spun off into her series, which nobody can figure out why that was on for eight seasons. I mean, talk about corporate welfare. I mean, we all should be suing uh, about her having a show on for eight seasons. My God. Um, I, I don't know when it came on, how many episodes it was a season. Like, it, it was just absolutely unwatchable. If anybody should be suing, it should be Sweetie. So now we also know that both Candy and Nene got wedding specials and then Candy got additional specials with Escape, her family ski trip, and her current run of Candy in the Gang, which I hope she does get a season two on because it's such an interesting cast and the ratings, contrary to Nene's snide remarks, now that she, even though now she's conveniently bringing Candy up, her ratings did go up quite substantially once the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City ended. And I, so I think it really came down to what Bravo probably knew as well, which is that it had a lead in that was so opposite the audience uh, for Candy's show. And now it doesn't have that lead in. So it's not bogged down by that. And of course, we'll get an even bigger bump because it, it ends the night that Atlanta starts uh, next week. The I think it's Sunday the 8th. Anyway, um, her departure in, in season five was pretty much right after her um, show began to air. Now, the really funny thing is that 
again talk about just blowing things making them huge is that her attorney says the black housewives hope to receive a reprieve from her racially offensive ways now kim came back in season nine she came back for the finale in season nine she wasn't there the whole time that was in april 2017 but then she was back for uh, all of season 10. And we know that as soon as season 10 started, we were dealing with what? Roachgate. And everything went to hell in a handbasket between her and Kim from there, straight through to the reunion. But when we come back with part two of this, we're going to get into what I think is some pretty interesting stuff for sure about, um, and, and probably the only part of her case that, despite the fact that it still has a lot to do with Kim, the only part of her case where I actually think if her and her attorney tweak it just right, it might be the key to her surviving the summary judgment hearing and at least getting this to trial. Winning, well, that's a whole other thing, but at least getting over that initial hump of having this tossed before you can potentially get it in front of a jury that might be sensitive to these racial issues or at least in allegations of a racial culture and because of a certain sensitivity to that may not i hate to say this but may not get bogged down in the law <laughs> like they're supposed to um when it comes to saying okay yes there was racism yes there was this and that and the third but that doesn't necessarily mean that she has prevailed on her claim of alleging that because of these issues she was not afforded an ability to work in a, um, an appropriate contract. She was retaliated against that her entire environment was inherently hostile despite her contributions to a certain atmosphere in that environment for both the person she's making these allegations against as well as her other co-workers and other individuals on the set production and others because you can best believe if this make it if if this situation makes it to trial all of the whispered rumors that we've heard about uh miss leaks and her antics over the years bravo and their army of lawyers will have no problem well bravo true andy and what have you because there's a whole bunch of people being sued so you're going to end up with an army of lawyers because all of these people are different companies are going to have no problem whatsoever putting all of this stuff out there so the can of worms that gets opened on this is huge and ugly on the one hand potentially dismantling the show because of 
lifting that fourth wall on reality television or the, the Housewives uh, franchise in particular, even more so than um, the book that came out a few months ago, as well as um, it hurting her career and reputation even more than the damage she has already done so or let or that she would allege has been done to her so this is going to so it's it, it could potentially get worse before it gets better it'll certainly be you know quite a bit of entertaining for those of us on the outside looking in but all of that being said uh as i said this as we get into roachgate and, and deeper into that and the fallout from that particularly um, some of the back and forth that she had with executives, some of which is in writing, that is, those are going to, that's going to be the best meat and potatoes if she brings the right team in to uh, craft that a little bit better than is crafted in this complaint and argue it. Uh, that, like I said, could be her key to surviving summary judgment. And we're going to talk more about that tomorrow and, um, and, maybe even me explain the summary judgment piece a little bit more once uh you know tonight when i get a little look a little bit deeper into what else we have to do then i'll determine how much of the legal the, the kind of procedural stuff we'll get into but i hope you enjoyed this show i know you got a lot of my own commentary but i think that a lot of what i said even though it was sort of broad as it relates to this put it into context for you as I also talked about the case and the allegations itself. So stay tuned, come back for part two. Please go back and listen to some of our other shows. We will be shifting to, we're going to keep the podcast, but also add the YouTube element within the next week or so, just uh, trying to work out some tech tweets, uh, tech, some tech tweaks <laughs> around here to make the uh viewing of it not look like yeek and um learning a little bit more about the uh software that we have prepared for it so that i'm not uh blanking myself off screen <laughs> when uh when you are watching the video so uh looking forward to adding that element and having a lot more conversations with you um finishing up this and just lots more good shows so as always continue to follow me on all social media uh including facebook you'll see the link in the info box as well as uh, as well as instagram where it's let's be honest jj Twitter, Let's Be Honest JJ, Facebook, The Fashion and Drama Diaries. You can find the link in the info box above. And what else do we have? Okay, of course, support the show, support your girl. You have the Venmo and Cash App information there as well. It helps us do what we do and take the time to do the research. And other than that, you know how we do it. If you want to talk about it, chances are I'm interested in it and I want to talk about it too, especially on the legal breakdown when we get into these cases. I got lots of gossip to talk about too, but you know, 
you know how we love a good legal breakdown. So stay tuned for part two that you'll have up in the next day or two. In the meantime, let's be honest together.